Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Hello everybody, welcome to your May Bank Holiday Second Captain's Football Podcast, Owen and Ken here. Hi Ken. Hi Owen, how are you? I'm very good Ken, I'm very good because we're at that time of the year where leagues and cups are being won and lost all around Europe and nowhere has there been more drama than just up the road in the Danske Bank Irish Premiership. And the Irish Cup. I had a particular interest in all of this. As you may recall, I spent a very pleasant Saturday afternoon back in January. Freezing cold day, holed up in a pub up north, oh, yeah. watching BBC final score from Northern Ireland with the locals. Mm-hmm. It was an incredibly nice way to spend a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Everything was closed. You couldn't really go anywhere. So why not do that? So this weekend, uh, I've been following it closely since then, of course. The league went down to the final day of the season. Sorry, we'll start with last week. League went down to the final day of the season. Coleraine pipped to the title by their rivals, Crusaders, yeah. despite Coleraine only losing one match all season. Unbelievable. Yeah, Unbelievable yeah. consistency. Great, from both sides. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So not enough for Coleraine to win the title. But this weekend, the Bannonsiders, sorry, the Bandsiders, that's Coleraine, of course, got a measure of consolation by winning the cup final against Cliftonville, after which local lad and ex-Derry GA star Owen Bradley spoke to the BBC, but wait, who's this lurking on Owen's shoulder, looking in fine spirits and ready to throw in his two cents? Nesbitt Watch! Owen, what was going through your mind whenever you were one-on-one with the goalkeeper to get the third and final goal? Well, Owen and Wanky, they said to me to go to the corner, but I was not that there. It's a long time since I scored here, so I wanted to finish it off. And I, see, I caught across the man, seen Bam coming out, so I seen the cell dinging and things were on the net and that was the game over. Jimmy, how did you celebrate it? It was a goal of a grace, any league, any cup final, anywhere in the world. Del Piero would have been happy, Ronaldo would have been happy. But can I just say, he's a very modest man. My father travelled with him on the uh, bus today, and Owen and my, is very good to my father. He's 90 very soon. Owen told my father he scored for him today, and he did. Epic again. <laughs> Epic scenes. And I know what you're thinking. Celebrity supporter jumps on the bandwagon for the big day. Everyone wants to be a Coleraine supporter now, yeah? Yeah, yeah? Well, Ken, Jimmy Nesbitt is a lifelong Coleraine fan. Club chairman Colin McHenry recently praised the Cold Feet star for his financial support and for offering intelligent advice on a range of big picture topics. <laughs> I just love the way James Nesbitt doesn't mind 
turning up to a whole host of sporting events, drinking a skinful, and then going. Well, on TV. we can only say he's an abundant <laughs> character. Kevin. We don't know what not, he was. We don't know what he was up to. He just does not care. I like his style. I love his style. So congrats to Jimmy and a shout out to Peter Mack for putting us onto that clip. Excellent Nesbit watching there, Peter. We do encourage anybody to send clips of Jimmy Nesbitt enjoying sporting events directly to me at, sec- at Oh My Devitt or indeed at Second Captains. It was a bit strange um, uh, that uh, there, was a, there was a protest about the anthem or rather Cliftonville actually had asked for God Save the Queen not to be played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, um, that was turned down. They were so like, they... ah, so we were playing God Save the Queen. Mm-hmm. But this is strange because, uh, so so they played it and the Cliftonville players stood there like a bunch of, a team of James McLean, James McLean's uh, heads bowed while the anthem, uh, while the anthem was played. Um, but it's, it's a strange one because five years ago, um, Cliftonville, play, Cliftonville played Guntorn in the final, and on that occasion, the FA decided that they wouldn't play God Save the Queen in order to create a politically neutral environment. So the question there would be, what's different this time? You know, if they didn't want it to be played. I mean, I guess Coleraine and Guntorin are... are uh, maybe the Guntorin fans would have been singing the anthem with more gusto. Maybe that was the... Maybe that's what's being... Maybe that's the difference here, or maybe just 2018 is a very different world from 2013. And suddenly, being politically neutral is not really the way. It's just not. It's just not really the spirit of the time anymore. Yeah, well, we're going to get into a tempestuous El Clasico today. There was a fair bit of needle. Sergio Roberto was sent off for Barcelona, but they did battle to a draw, so they still have a chance. Well, a big chance of going the entire La Liga season unbeaten. Right now, Ken, you're going to report on a little bit of sport for us. So I suppose um, just. Uh, just crossing the channel there from Northern Ireland, uh, just over to over to Scotland. There, big weekend in Scottish football. As Stephen Gerrard was unveiled as the next Rangers manager. A no-brainer. A no-brainer. Um, he said that he had a feeling in his stomach when the when when Rangers uh, when when he got the call from Rangers, his stomach began to twitch in a particular way, a particular special way, which was better than previous times when he'd been offered different jobs and he knew that the job was for him at that point. So uh, he's he's uh, he's going to be the Ranger. And we, you know, we spoke about this last week and I, I think this is a very, very risky move by him for a career in its, you know, in its infancy. High expectations from Rangers fans, but little achievement of late. High expectations, no money, uh, and also... A whole extra layer of uh, of pressure brought on by the strange nature of Rangers and its big rival club in Glasgow, Celtic. I mean, you could see the uh, you know the, just the fan videos from outside Ibrox. They're waiting for Jared. They're singing the you know we're up to our necks and up to our knees and Fenian blood, surrender or you'll die. I mean, it's a problem, I think, when your most famous song is about wading in the blood of your enemies. And another one of their most famous songs is the one about how why, the famine's over, why don't you go home? So it's like, it's, it's, I think that's very unusual. I mean, we all hear about the, the Mersey Derby isn't as friendly, it's not the friendly derby anymore. Everton fans certainly sang a few, um, I imagine hard to take songs to Stephen Gerrard. Well, he was a player. There's all these rivalries in English football, but there's nothing like this. I, I'm not aware of any club 
that sings a song about its major rivals, which suggests that they are an illegitimate part of Scottish society and, in fact, belong to another country and should go back to that country. How does any of that impact on Stephen Gerrard's chances of overhauling Celtic? Or, or overhauling, sorry, sorry, Rangers, if I could just make uh, this Overhauling out. was the incorrect word I meant to say yeah. uh, that I... I use the incorrect. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh you so meant he went over, overtake. He went overhaul Rangers. To he went overhaul in the sense of overtake, not to... Overtake not to, Celtic, yes. Not yes, to yes, do... Yes, okay, yes. absolutely. No, I'm, I'm with you now. I'm with you now. He's, Don't want to be making mistakes. Like he's that. managing Rangers, not Celtic. Yes. Two, two very different clubs. Different clubs. Um, how? Because I think it's, it's, it's just the atmosphere is just that much more fraught in Glasgow than in... Than in. It, this is why, like... Uh, there is no second place. There is no second place for these supporters. Finishing second is finishing behind Celtic is failure, is 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 the worst thing that can happen. There needs to be victims, scapegoats. Gerard in his press conference talked about how I love pressure. I've always played with pressure. Ever since I've left school, I've had pressure. But I think there's pressure and there's pressure. There's the pressure that that Steven Gerrard had to contend with throughout a lot of his career, where he was the best player, often by far the best player in his team, and was the man to whom everybody looked. Oh, we're in trouble. Can't Stevie bail us out? And sometimes he did, and oftentimes he didn't. And there were successes and there were failures, some some bitter failures, one that stands above uh, the others that we this that does not slip. We all we all know about it, you know. But the point is that always he was kind of the special one. You know what I mean? He he was like our magic player, our superhero. If anyone can do it, Stevie can. It's a kind of a very respectful form of pressure. It's the it's the it's the pressure that goes with being the special. You know the 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 great warrior, the Achilles of the. It's not like the pressure that s- numerous other players who came and went at Liverpool while Stephen Gerrard was there have had to deal with the your shit pressure. The, what are you doing here? You're not fit to wear the shirt. You're shit. You know, the, the pressure of 40,000 fans, uh, you know, uh, grumbling and moaning every time you get the ball or, or exploding in rage when you do something wrong in the field. That's, a, that's the sort of pressure Jared never really had to deal with because he was always the best player. Or, you know, him and maybe they had one or two other players on his level. When he's the manager of Rangers, the, this, is, this is quite different because... He's not a superhero manager. He's just another big name former pro who thinks he, who thinks he can do the job. Who's been parachuted into what the Rangers fans think is a top job, and when things start to go wrong, there's no reason to believe that he's got the ability to drag the team out of it. He'll he'll have this kind of doubt about his ability, which was never the case. That I think that that's a huge difference. People 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 might have said, oh. Uh, Jared didn't have a great game but no one's saying he shouldn't play the next game you know what I mean whereas in this instance it's going to be Jared what's he doing you know he's got no he's got no notion what he's doing why did we go for a big name manager with no experience how many clubs have made this same mistake before you know how long before we can get rid of of Jared I'm just saying that adds a whole different dimension then it may not work out that way it may be that Steve Jared comes in and starts really well and you know, puts together a competitive team, is able to somehow get some players to join Rangers, even though they could join anywhere in the championship and, you know, be paid more possibly than, they, than they're being paid at Rangers. Certainly Rangers don't have money to tempt players. It will be the name. It will be the name of the famous Glasgow Rangers, uh, the name of the famous Steven Gerrard. That they're, that's really what they're offering. Um, I mean, Klopp and Steven Gerrard did a joint interview 
on the Liverpool website a couple of, a few weeks back, like the end of March, uh, and it was like uh, under 18s manager Stevie and manager Jurgen get together and talk about management, and a few times in a club said the great thing about my early career, and he, he was talking about like his own starting out in management. You know, his usual sort of, oh, I was a terrible player. So they said, oh, would you like to train the team instead? Seeing as you can't play football. You know the way he always goes on. Self-deprecating humor. Self-deprecating humor. So Klopp uh, took, took, took over the team and really didn't know what he was doing. And people would come to him and say, Jürgen, what? Like, uh, what, you know, what's going on? And he'd be like, I don't know. I don't know anything. Give me five minutes. Come back to me and I'll have an answer for you. Uh, you know, I he he didn't have anyone to do video analysis. You know, he didn't. Uh, he he had to go watch the game several times himself. He didn't have anyone saying, "Oh, you know, I think X. You might want to look at X's performance or certain things that happened." He just had to try and figure it out himself, and then bullshit the uh, the players and the journalists, of which there were almost none. He said, "There's a line where he says something like, oh, I realized after.'" doing it a few times that obviously nobody listens because I was talking such nonsense, <laughs> but no one ever picked me up on it. Um, but the the point that he kept repeating was the great thing about this was that I was playing, I was managing Mainz in the German championship, the you know, second division in two Bundesliga. Um, nobody was there. Like Nobody cared. There was no interest. There was no TV cameras. I mean, he, he had to try. When somebody turned up with a camera, Klopp was like a dancing bear performing for them to try and get them to come back, you know, the next week because it was no interest. Nobody cared about Mainz. He could work without there being any pressure on him from outside. I mean, obviously, he had to deal with the supporters who were there, the players, you know, some of them want to be in the team, some of them are, don't like the way things are going. These are all problems that every manager has to deal with, but at least he didn't also have to deal with the whole rest of the world sticking his beak in, going, well, what are you doing? Who is this guy anyway? He's got no experience. He didn't have to do it. So by the time he eventually got to a point where people had started to take an interest, he already had years of experience in the job. He was kind of, he, he was by then an experienced manager. Stephen Jarrett has gone straight into a, a job which, where he's got the finances of, an, of a championship club um, in terms of what they can pay players. 320000 is the average wage, apparently, at Rangers. 320000 a year. Um, uh, but he's got the profile of a, of a far bigger club. So he's going to have massive, massive interest of different kinds from his own, from the, from the media, you know, some of whom maybe are minded one way or the other, and from his own supporters who have very high expectations, and from the and from the Celtic supporters, who find it very funny when people in his position make a mess of things. Yeah, I can't imagine a more difficult. I just can't imagine a, a, more of a managerial meat grinder. He's like, bring it on. I'm, I'm just covering my eyes watching this. But it's brave, Ken. Uh, and, I mean, I wrote a, a piece about it in the Irish Times today, and I tweeted the piece, and, <laughs> I mean, the piece is basically saying what I've been saying, like, my God, this isn't, I'm, I'm surprised that he took the job. Yeah, you got it, the least desirable job in football or something along those lines. The I, yeah, the worst this, opportunity this in the game. But all the, uh, there's, there's been quite a lot of angry reactions to it. Rangers fans? No, Celtic fans. <laughs> Celtic fans are angry because I, I wrote that, uh, I wrote that Rangers had been, were demoted to Division 3 after the financial scandal that engulfed the club. And the word demoted 
has caused uh, has caused anger among many Celtic fans who have read this. If you're going to write a piece like that, you could at least research the real story. They were demoted. The old club was liquidated. Unless inquiries said they ceased to exist, and you could have had to apply to enter the bottom division as the Rangers. Easy, isn't it? Lots of emojis in there going, you know, what are you doing? Rolling eyes. Uh, we're not asking for dying in a ditch, journalists. You're here. Just accuracy. Accuracy is important, is it not? Because if journalists are prepared to lie or be lazy about unimportant stuff like football, then what happens to reportage of real life or death issues? You know, why did you put demoted then when they were liquidated and a new team formed? Explain. It's because I'm a massive hun. SG1888-1967. <laughs> no, it isn't. It isn't. Uh, uh, Phil McGillivon, um, the journalist whose books chronicled the uh, the downfall. Downfall is the name of the book. Downfall, how Rangers FC self-destructed 2012. Um, he had a lot of the stories before uh, before it was profitable or popular, certainly before a lot of fa- Rangers fans were ready to believe uh, worst. what he was telling them. Uh, I think it says something that a fellow journalist doesn't care for accuracy. Cheers, Phil. Uh, <laughs> What's your response to Phil and the rest, then? Well, I happen to believe that this Rangers died narrative is just missing the point. It's beside the point. Rangers is not a thing that lives in a filing cabinet. It's not a it's not a p- particular thing that it's, that's, that's registered at the company's office. That is not Rangers. Rangers is the thing that, the thing that happens at Ibrox, the blue team that goes out there, supported by all those people who sing about being up to their knees in Fenian blood. That's Rangers. And it's still there. It's still very much there. You know, the, you know so, so different... Cor- cor- you know, companies liquidated, different companies incorporated. Like, pff, who cares? Mm. There's, they're still there. You, you, you I guess, see, the, you yeah, but I, I, guess, I, mean? I think, I guess, the point of view of these Celtic fans, uh, judging from, I'm just hearing this for the first time, would be that to describe them as demoted maybe doesn't sound as dramatic as to say that they were liquidated because of the financial trouble they got themselves in through their own actions. Which mm. were, you know, pretty unsavory. Whereas, oh, whereas, yeah. it just just using the word "demoted" maybe doesn't quite have the same connotations as you know. It's also probably snappier English to say "demoted" rather than "previously liquidated" and then, uh, you know, yeah, I, I mean, incorporated under a new name. I mean, I, you know, uh, these these Celtic fans have me bang to rights. I should have wrote "liquidated." And and reformed in Division Three or, or re-entered into Division Three. I should have I should have written that. I mean. So I can't. I can't argue. What 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 impresses me more though is the is the vehemence over this pedantic point. Now I know it's become a it's become a, an issue. It's a, for, there's some Celtic fans to whom it's important that Rangers died. They're dead. This is not Rangers. It's a new cup. But to me, this is Rangers. It's the same. You know they they uh, they're uh, you know on the, on the corporate company law level that that company ceased to exist. This thing that we have now, it's it's Rangers. It's the same. It's the same team. It's the same supporters. It's the same songs. It's the same rallying point. You know, the same symbol. Have you had anything for the Ra- same community? Yeah. Have you had anything from Rangers fans? Oh, just saying, it's a shite article. And, you know, <laughs> you know, oh, just what what I would expect. You know, it's you're like, expecting that, but you weren't necessarily expecting this something well, uh, back- backlash. Well, I should have expected it. I should I should have expected it. And I think what it does is it shows the the kind of special nature of this like you're not going to get away with much <laughs> this, is, this is an unforgiving this is an unforgiving place best of luck stevie is all i can say because you got 
many, many, many thousands of pairs of eyes scrutinizing every single thing that you've that you've done that you've that you've ever done, and certainly that you will be doing while you're the Rangers manager, and you won't get away with a whole lot. Where to do next? Best, best, best of luck with it. Okay, uh, so where are we? Um, so the, the the big news that happened over the weekend was obviously uh, Alex Ferguson. Alex Ferguson taken into hospital and had to have emergency surgery. He uh, has had some class of a stroke, which has been described as a brain hemorrhage, uh, and will now. Uh, as Manchester United's statement said, require a period of intensive care in recovery. So very sad news about that. And and uh, uh, and you can see today, you know, reaction from from pretty much everybody. A lot of you know obituary style pieces. Um, even though Ferguson is still alive and still in the hospital, Patrice Everest says, I, re- I read a lot of tweets like Sir Alex is already dead, but he's a fighter. People ask why I don't tweet, but I'm lucky enough to have his mobile number, so I don't need to tweet or post anything. Um, this idea that yeah, you're obliged to tweet in a situation like this is mm. just ridiculous. You know, save your outrage, I would say, for um, for more <laughs> justifiable. Because if people want to say something publicly on Twitter, fine. If people want to contact the family behind the scenes, that's also fine. You don't necessarily have to rush onto Twitter to um, to, to show your compassion that way. No, uh, you certainly don't. Although. The Ferguson status in the game is such that uh, almost everybody in football, I think, put out some kind of a put out some kind of a tweet saying best wishes, thoughts and prayers, some variation of that. Yeah, which is which is lovely. But the I think the thing that shocked people was that we had seen him so recently mm. doing the tribute for Wenger, and he looked as healthy as as he's ever done. He always, um, you know, looked like a guy. Obviously, he's, he's, he's a guy with. Uh, who performed a stressful job for an awfully long time and came through the other side of that and seems to have been enjoying his retirement uh, and certainly looked good last week. Uh, so I, th- I think that's maybe shocked people. It's not like you've heard of Alex Ferguson having all these issues and this is another one of them. It's, it's, it seems to have come, uh, well, I don't know, it's medical history, but to the public watching it, it seems to have come as a massive shock. Yeah, and 76, which is his age now, He's seventy. Yeah, he's seventy-six. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's, it's not it's not old for a man of his of his generation, really. Um, but you know, that that's the situation. So we just have to hope that that Alex Ferguson is uh, is able to to make a good recovery from what was a very serious, uh, very serious episode. Arsene Wenger also mentioned him in his in his final speech to the Arsenal supporters. Um, there was a big. I mean, it was it was Wenger Day, you know, with the Emirates of five 0 against Burnley. Arsenal scoring some some really nice goals. A few more of them earlier in the season, and who knows, maybe Wenger Day might have been next year. Uh, but his speech was was slightly strange. I thought he, I mean, he looked he looked a little bit awkward because I think he obviously with what with him being bundled out the door and all this, it, it's it just feels a bit false for you know everybody to tell them how amazing he is, given that he's effectively been sacked. Um, and he is aware of the kind of slightly cringy nature of all this. Um, at the same time, I think the appreciation being expressed towards him is genuine. Like people are are talking about, or, or people people are kind of expressing feelings based on memories, long ago memories. You know, big significant chunks of their lives. You know, this guy has been there as uh, as part of it. 
Um, so it is it is sort of genuine feeling. Um, I mean, afterwards there was the the the, the press, uh, the John Cross, who would be maybe the Queen Bee Arsenal journal. I mean, it's a, you know I, I hesitate to say I don't want a Celtic fan like Deluge here. Actually, Amy Lawrence is the Queen Bee. You know, <laughs> look, one of the top David Ornstein, one of the top. Uh, the most experienced journalist who's been covering Arsenal for a very long time will usually will usually be found wherever Arsene Wenger is giving a press conference. Gave a little speech to him in the press conference room, presenting him with a, I understand, six-liter bottle of wine, like a blimp-sized bottle of wine from 2004. There's nothing Wenger likes more than kicking back with, a, <laughs> with an enormous keg of wine. To uh, Was it one of these things with the little nozzle on the bottom? Like those boxes of wine with the the pack inside it. I didn't know if it was an actual box. I doubt that. Just a giant glass bottle of wine. But it was in a it was in a presentation box, so so I'm not sure. But he you know, he talked about how how great it was to work with. Fenger's speech I thought was was he said, Above all, I'm like you. I'm an Arsenal fan. I got a good reaction. Yeah, but I thought it's clearly not true. You're not like us. You're not like the Arsenal fans, and you're not an Arsene fan, you are Arsene Wenger. You know, it's you're in a different category. Don't don't say you're just one of the boys. You're not. Never have been. This is more than just watching football. It's a way of life. It's caring about the beautiful game, about the values we cherish, and as well, that's something that goes for all our bodies and every cell of our bodies. We care. We worry. We're desperate. When you come here, the theatre of dreams, we realise what it means. I would like as well to thank everyone at the club who makes it so special. I would invite you really push. Support these players and the staff who remains behind me. These group of players has a special quality, not only on the pitch, but off the pitch. Please, as you follow this team, support them next season because they deserve it. And I kind of felt as though he lost the crowd a bit at that point. When he was talking about on the pitch and off the pitch, it's like, why do you care so much about off the pitch? You know, like, it's an interesting question to... to I mean, the, the important thing is, do they play well? Are they good players? Are they going to win anything? That's kind of what, what a manager should be focused on primarily, I feel. But you, you feel as though Wenger has almost been sort of, are these the right type of boys? Are these the kind of boys, you know, you'd want to, to marry your, your daughter? This, this type of attitude where, whereby their off-field demeanor and bearing and habits uh, and values are, um, are, are as important as what they do on the field. I'm not... I'm not 100% convinced. Is part of it, though, that they have the right values and they have, they're made of the right stuff, Ken? In other words, they're made of the kind of stuff that will ultimately achieve success on the pitch. Well, this is where... This is... I was, I was, was it Martin Keown? I'm not sure. Uh, I think it was Martin Keown who I heard saying... Because that was my original thought when I saw Wenger's doing speech. I was like, oh, why are you going on about off the pitch? Like, what a load of nonsense. This is where, this is where the rot... This is where the rot set in. I thought to myself... Too much of this, too too much focusing on on irrelevancies and not enough on on what what happens in the field. But Keon, I think, was saying something like, "Look, he actually the change that he made was was persuading these players, of which he was one at the time. You know, when he arrived at Arsenal, these George Graham players to think differently about their careers. To sort of that that actually it kind of I was like, okay, well, maybe these these sort of values that he's talking about have to do with how you." actually get the most out of yourself or to realize what the importance of what it is that you do and to put yourself at the service of your career and so on. Like it, the idea that the off-field values he's talking about are the ones that actually in, will 
enable you to to do well on the field. I feel sometimes he can make that a bit clearer because because he did come across a little bit like a a, a Blair or Clinton era politician yeah. um, talking in in these sort of sort of empty sound bites about like values that no one's really quite sure what they mean and you know and, and a cynical way of looking at it would be well you know you all made a lot of money out of it and didn't really achieve a lot I mean but again that the, 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 what I've just said sounds probably very um, very mean and unfair at this point you know, I thought it was actually quite nice that he had a proper send off because it seemed that the home game after he was after he announced that he was leaving at the end of the season, there, there seemed to be a bit of a mixed... Res- it didn't seem as though he was bowled over by the warmth necessarily and there were some empty seats and all that kind of stuff. Whereas getting to do that speech and just getting to sit there, maybe less on the speech, which was a little bit awkward at times, getting to sit on the sideline with his on the back of a 5-0 win, yeah. it was a 5-0 in the end, yeah. with the fans serenading him and the Burnley fans joining in at one point... That's a pretty nice feeling. That that that's a nice way to walk away from the Emirates Stadium for Arsene Wenger, which you know I think he probably de- he certainly deserves. I think so. Absolutely, um, a, a great career, uh, a, a terrific career, very very successful, and um, yeah. Well, we wait to see what he does next because I don't think he's I don't think he's interested in finishing up yet. He just wants to keep going. I kind of I do feel as though a national team job would be the best option for him at this point but we'll wait and see maybe he feels as though he he, he can do even more work than that um Manchester City won the title were given the the they obviously won the title ages ago but they were given the um trophy by the time it got to you know sort of the whole squad were so you know did, did you see that I mean the, obviously the players get given the trophy on the on the thing it was still quite a lot of fans there but by the time it got to the point where the squad and all of the uh, ancillary staff and everybody and their kids and, and so on were all on the pitch. There was actually more people on the pitch than the stands. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> Looking around, it was the empty stands. and But on the pitch, this huge crowd of people who were all associated with the success, you know, Pep, sort of everybody shares in the success. But it did look a little bit... <laughs> um, incongruous next to these next to these big empty stands. Uh, but look, you know... Yeah. Uh, that's been the, that's been the way. A nil all against Huddersfield. I mean, it's, it is frustrating. Of course, there's still work to do for City this season, of which more or less it's, it's mainly West Brom related work. They've still got a part to play in a, in somebody else's drama. Um, what else was happening? Uh, Liverpool losing again, winless. I think still since the departure of the Brain. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm, wor- I'm worried about the energy levels of Mo Salah at the moment. Maybe energy levels is the wrong phrase, but. That the front three don't look exactly like the. No, they what's their nickname as a trio? Like, the Fab Three. I can't remember what it was changed to after Coutinho departed. Yeah, not too fab at the moment, but I'm sure it'll be okay. Come the Champions League final. Well, it is interesting, isn't it? Um, how like the spell is clearly broken. It's over. <laughs> it's over for Liverpool. Uh, Mo Salah, uh, he was scoring from impossible angles only two weeks ago, and now he's diving. He's letting himself down. He's letting his country down. Um. Uh, Klopp actually told him off, uh, but Klopp, Klopp had an interesting excuse this time for the, for for why Salah didn't play that well. He said, "Now we've played twice against former teammates. This is Salah against, so he's playing Roma. Obviously, it was the same against Roma before the game. They're very friendly and say, hello, Mo, how are you?' And a hug here and there. But then during the game, you know, and it was the same with Rudiger today. So Rudiger used to play at Roma as well. 
Um, they, weren't, they weren't flawed in that logic, I suppose, being that Roma's, hey, how are you, Mo? Didn't really do them too many favours at Anfield where he scored two and created two. Some people get very put out by the footballers in particular as a sport, the, as sportsmen and sports people seem to be very comfortable with embracing like long-lost friends, which in some cases they are, before a game and then going at it during the match. I, I do find it hard to know how a person switches from one mode into the other in the space of a few minutes. And it did strike me that Salah was particularly effusive before the Anfield game. It, the hugs were, it, was, it really was, there was genuine warmth. He seemed to love all the players. You can nearly tell the ones that maybe only arrived this season who he didn't know as well. Still gave him a hug though. Yeah. Seemed to embrace absolutely everybody. But then went out on the pitch and was absolutely amazing. So I yeah. don't really think it's that big a deal. It just... It just Looks a little bit odd sometimes. I think it's not as it's not that big a deal. I mean, what is a bigger deal for Salah is is having a bit of space on the pitch because Chelsea didn't give him this, um, and he, he he didn't really seem to know what to do. And and when you've got like this this evidence sort of tiring, and the fact that they don't have any, they really don't have too many options at all. But like they're really short players. I mean, the the bad moments in the the game against Roma was losing Alex Oxley Chamberlain who'd been playing really well for them. And they don't they can't change it. They just have to keep going. And now they're in a position where they have to beat Brighton next uh, week in order to be sure that they're going to be in the Champions League next season. Because Chelsea, as, as uh, Antonio Conte was saying, you know, one month ago it was impossible to imagine we'd arrive at the end to fight for a place in the Champions League. Now there is hope. We're getting three points in every game and our opponents are dropping points. But our future is not in our hands. We have to put pressure on the teams ahead of us. Klopp is like, oh yeah, I don't think going to Newcastle is just a holiday. It doesn't sound like a holiday trip to me. Um, this is Chelsea have to beat Newcastle. Yeah, they've um, got to go, go to Newcastle and get something. They've got to go. He's got to go to Newcastle and get something. Um, but they've got to. It looks as though I mean, with Liverpool season is going to come down to Brighton. Can they beat Brighton? I mean, clearly they should. They beat Brighton five nil. I think earlier in the season was it five one? Maybe five one. But. Um, I remember Felipe Coutinho having a particularly good game. That was one where Shane Duffy was on the podcast with Richie and talked about how it was incredible to be on the same field as somebody with that ability. But he was talking about a player that no longer plays for Liverpool. Uh, Klopp was saying, oh, Justin Salah was booked for diving. Yes, I think it was a dive, was it? Or he waited for the contact, I'm not sure. It's not what I want to see. That's not what he wants to do. But obviously it happened. In that situation, he couldn't get any foul anymore. That's not right. It was always like this. You have to deal with that. I actually thought that, and I think this is a problem more generally with with the the weird mindset that we'll have in these Premier League games, was he's trying to... They've all become very cautious about getting injured. Mm -hmm. They're all terrified of, of being injured. And it seemed to me as though he was trying to avoid... He, he didn't want to... He might have, earlier in the season... Or in a in you know in a f- sort of full blooded game, gone for the ball with his foot, and this time he was like, "No, nah, don't think so. I'm not going to risk. I'm, not, I'm just not going to risk anything." And when you play the game with the mindset of "I'm not going to risk anything," don't be surprised if you end up playing a lot worse than you previously have. The problem with all this being that if they do miss out on fourth spot and end up going into a Champions League final needing to win to qualify for the next season's Champions League, that's an extra layer of stress that you really don't want to have. I don't know, actually. I, I was thinking about that. Really? Does it make much difference? I mean, if you're in the Champions League final, um, you've got to you've got to try and win. I mean, mm, yeah. losing, losing the Champions League final is a, is a major disappointment. It will be the second one for Klopp 
if he loses, if he loses, you know, it's going to be the biggest disappointment in the football sense of your career in a way, like being that close to a big prize. And these players may never get back to a Champions League final. Being that close to a big, big prize, as you're saying, they may never be back to a Champions League final. And then also not having the very large consolation of being in the Champions League for next. It, it, it would just seems after such an amazing season, it would just seem beyond anticlimactic yeah. to miss out on Champions League football next year. It would be bizarre, to be honest. Well, it's actually, isn't it? It's just the same situation as they had in 2016 when they were in the Europa League final, where, again, if they win the game, they get into the next season Champions League. And if they don't, well, you don't, actually, they weren't even in the Europa League. So this might even this might even be worse. Um, they finished, they finished eighth that season. But uh, just a couple of other small things. I mentioned Brighton. Brighton, of course, have... Uh, have beaten Manchester United, which is a big result for them. So they are not going to be relegated this season. Um, Jose Mourinho saying afterwards that uh, United's performance was not good enough, uh, and he and he and he said something. Maybe now you understand why some players play more than others. You don't ask all the time why A, B, and C they don't play more. Um, the players that replaced others didn't perform at a good level. When individuals don't perform at a good level, it's difficult for the team to perform at a good level. And he said stuff like, I knew this was going to happen. I, I wouldn't say I'm disappointed because I know the players. But I thought for some of them, the possibility to start again, the possibility to give reasons to the ones during the season who are critical of my choices. Why always Lukaku? Why always Lukaku? Why always Lukaku? You have the answer. So the player he's talking about is Anthony Martial. Uh, and stories today, unsurprisingly, suggesting that Juventus are interested in Martial. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting interesting decision because I think Martial is a very highly rated player among Manchester United supporters and they don't want him to leave the club but he's not highly rated by Mourinho which is obvious you know you really, when you strip him again like this after a disappointing result Martial's not going to like it either um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens but I did mention the part that, that Spurs had in the not City rather had in the end of season drama, this is West Brom who managed to beat Tottenham, um, surprisingly, and can still actually stay up. But what they need to happen is for Swansea and Southampton, who play each other tomorrow night, to draw. And then for both of those teams to lose their last game, Swansea to Stoke, who are bottom of the league, which... Already relegated. Already relegated. And Southampton against Man City, who are, who are like already in holiday mode. And then... Uh, West Brom themselves need to be Crystal Palace. I mean, it seems pretty unlikely, but it was pretty unlikely that they would get <laughs> to this position in the first place. They needed a whole string of things to happen in their favour, which have already happened. Um, so it will be interesting if, if Swansea and Southampton manage to draw, which does look probably the most likely of these results, well, apart from Man City beating Southampton. Um, I still think Swansea against Stoke, Swansea are going to have a great chance to escape in the last uh, in the last match. But... Um, that's that and the uh, and the fourth place are the two things that are left to decide. Just keeping things alive a little bit at least. Yeah, that's it for today's report on sports. See if you don't get this out with mother will. You're away, mate. Your bags and your desk, boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got a job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, take no beep, take no, take no, take no beep. Just what's up? Don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me. I can't yell me. I can't yell me. I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. 
He's need fucking work, you wanna? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the gun is book at Eckle stop. Get a grab! He's the biggest fool in Manchester. Well, we had a nice and eventful Classico in Barcelona yesterday. Dermot Carrigan is ready to chat about uh, chat about it, Dermot. I would say Barcelona probably got what they wanted, all in all. The unbeaten season is still alive. I'm not saying they necessarily wanted Cristiano Ronaldo to have to go off injured at half-time, but by and large, they'd be happy enough. Hi, guys. Yeah, um, it was definitely dramatic last night. We were kind of expecting, people were talking about a decaf Classico that wasn't so much on the line anymore, with Barca having already won the title and Madrid being in the Champions League final and, and kind of distracted. But it wasn't like that at all. It was it was hell for leather, really. Once once the game got going after about 50 minutes, it was hell for leather. And yeah, Barca, considering they played with 10 men and considering they have that that ambition now of finishing the season unbeaten, which you know nobody has done in Spain since the 30s when there was only 10 teams in, in La Liga, they should be happy enough w- with how it turned out. But both sides had enough to complain about afterwards to keep them keep them happy, I think. Both sides were trying to, to, to build it up that they were angry and that they were upset about what had happened with the ref, but they both seemed happy enough to me, both coaches for sure. Is are they making a big deal out of this invincible season? Um, you know, Arsenal style. I, I mean, I, you know, the Arsenal season I, I think was uh, was kind of turned into a bigger thing after the event. Uh, is is it is it kind of all uh, invincible this and that? And, and do you feel maybe there's a certain amount of uh, myth making going on here to cover up the fact that weirdly this hasn't been that impressive a season from Barcelona? Yeah, it hasn't been hasn't been so much about it really. Like it, it is a fantastic achievement. If they do go on and do it, then it's pretty incredible. Especially considering how they started off the season without Neymar and with all the the trouble they had last summer with a new coach coming in and everything. But on, until the last couple of weeks, there was, there was pretty there was little enough about it. Uh, Barcelona didn't try to talk about it too much themselves, and maybe it is a bit like with, with Wenger and the Arsenal team in, in when it was in two thousand and four that. It'll be remembered afterwards as such a great achievement. It was an extra motivation for Madrid maybe to, to beat them, to deny them that um, last night, help get Madrid up for the game. But again, yeah, as you say, ever since the Roma defeat, Barca were already, you know, guaranteed La Liga more or less at that point. They had Sevilla in the Copa del Rey final. Everything has kind of been a little bit anticlimactic since that Roma defeat. I am a, I'm a bit annoyed with myself for the last question that I asked you. <laughs> Uh, Dermot, because I, it's it's totally it's unfair to say that a team that's about to finish the domestic season unbeaten has not actually had that great a season. But I am comparing Barcelona to themselves, um, to previous uh, previous editions, uh, previous campaigns, and it does seem to me as though they're they're a little short of that kind of uh, brilliance. I mean, I think Messi's had another fantastic season, but the team itself. <laughs> You know, maybe the the old one has, has kind of fallen apart, and the new one has really yet to take shape. I mean, I, I don't know what you what you feel about what I'm saying here. Do you, is there anything in this, or, or should I do I just need to watch a bit more Barcelona in order to appreciate just how good this current team really is? No, I'd agree with you. Like Ter Stegen had a great, especially the first half of the season or the first two thirds of the season. Ter Stegen saved them on lots of occasions where Barca would be. We in a game they give up loads of chances. The other team and hit them on the break. Um, and Ter Stegen was was phenomenal in in different games that he saved them. Um, Celta Vigo was one game where they you know they should really have lost the game and Ter Stegen bailed them out. And then Messi as well. Like they were at Sevilla a couple of weeks ago. They were two 0 down and Messi came off the bench and and worked his magic. So it's been it's been Messi. It's been a, a sturdy defense. Ter Stegen playing really really well and Messi up front doing the damage. Like in midfield, it's not the. It's, it's nothing like the Barcelona team when Javi was at his peak and, and Iniesta was, or when Javi was still there when Iniesta was at his peak. It is a different Barca team. Valverde is not a, he's not into tiki tac or whatever you want to call it the same way as Guardiola was for sure. It's 
it's not been a great La Liga season in general. I think Madrid kind of gave up fairly early on in the season. Atletico have had their troubles, you know, with the FIFA transfer ban, the new stadium. Um, Barca, they strolled to the title, really. Even the Valencia are going to finish fourth without being a, having a great season. So I think overall, the level in the league is not as good as it was three or four years ago. And that has made it easier for Barca to... Well, we shouldn't take away, as you say, too much from them. If they go unbeaten, it's... It's a tremendous achievement, but this hasn't been the the highest level of Liga season for sure. Um, just looking at the the game last night, I mean, the referee was was a huge figure in the game. He gave Barcelona a goal, which should have been ruled out for a foul by Suarez. He denied Real Madrid a penalty, um, which should have been given for a foul on a really obvious foul on Marcel. They're just the two most obvious errors. Um, it seems that both teams are angry at him, though, and there are some quotes which are attributed to Lionel Messi. I think at half time where Messi is supposed to have confronted the referee and told him, you always shit yourself, you always shit yourself in these games, you know, just because we've won the league doesn't mean that you should just give them a present of this game. I mean, I've seen these quotes. Uh, what, I mean, it sounds like quite a big, it sounds like big if true. Uh, is it true? Did Messi, did Messi really do this? Is he going to be disciplined by the Spanish football authorities if so? Uh, I think it's very unlikely that, that he will be disciplined. They came out, or I saw them coming out via sources close to the Real Madrid um, camp. Uh, the first reporter who was who was talking about it is a guy who will be close to, to Madrid. Then Ramos was asked about it in the, the mix zone, and he did the thing where he pretended he didn't want to talk about it too much, and then they, they egged him on and pushed him on and pushed him on. <laughs> Excuse me, and then in the end... He, he had actually had he a speech, he had a speech he prepared. He didn't confirm the actual quotes, Um Ramos didn't confirm the quotes, but he did say that Messi was putting pressure on the ref and that the ref um, had been affected by that and, and ref the game differently in the second half. Um, what actually happened in the tunnel, like, I, I guess only the referee and Messi really know or those who were right there really know, but Madrid were happy enough to get that story out there that it, it had been Messi. And it wouldn't surprise me. Messi has put pressure on refs. You know, we saw with Argentina, he got in a lot of trouble, was banned for for four internationals, I think it was, then he got the, it, it lessened on appeal. So it wouldn't surprise me if it did happen, but a ban is, is what really surprised me. So the bad news from a Real Madrid point of view, aside from not being able to end the unbeaten record, is this injury to Ronaldo, who hurt his ankle, I think in the middle of scoring his goal early on, but he soldiered on to halftime before coming off. I don't know I don't know what they're saying about it today or, or over the last 24 hours, but surely... Anything short of a broken ankle. In fact, even a broken ankle is not going to keep Cristiano Ronaldo out of the Champions League final. Derby. Yeah, he, he's definitely going to play in it. It's, we have to see now in what kind of state he is. There's been been very quiet this morning. Um, there's been no statement from Madrid at all about it. Zidane said afterwards, uh, after the game last night, that it had swollen up. Like He played on. He was hurt by PK. kind of came down on his ankle as they both stretched for the ball and Ronaldo got their first to score. Then he played on until halftime, played really well. You know, could have scored. Was Madrid were on top at that stage in the game. Ronaldo was loving it. I guess when he stopped and calmed down at halftime, then it started to swell up and he wasn't able to go back out for the second half. Um, he's had problems with that ankle before. It's his right ankle. He had an operation when he was back uh, at Man United on that ankle. He had um, missed a couple of months of his first season at Madrid, I think it was, after he had another problem with it. That's all, you know, six, seven years ago now, but it's... It's a worry for Madrid ahead of it. We'll see this week as as the news comes out pretty slowly about what state he's in. You know, it's unlikely he's going to play this week. Madrid are at Sevilla on Wednesday and they've Celta Vigo at home at the Bernabeu on the weekend. He's probably not going to play that. Then they've won more La Liga game the following weekend before the final against Liverpool. So, yeah, we've got plenty of time to, to fill with the race against time, the how he is, all the little diagrams of his ankle and everything in the Spanish media over the next couple of weeks is going to be... Yeah, it's going to keep us busy. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Sadio Mane or Mo Salah or indeed Roberto Firmino 
Dermot, and tell me what you would have thought as you were watching the game last night with one eye, in fact, both eyes on the Champions League final. Plenty of space to exploit the way Real are playing? Yeah, for sure. Like, if, there, if there's one thing that, one problem that Madrid have defensively, it's the the space between the, the fullbacks and the centre-back to, to get in behind them, especially when Marcelo goes up the wing. Like, every opponent that they've had in a big game recently has has looked to exploit that space, whether it was uh, Juve started their comeback with a cross from the, the right wing to Mandzukic at the back post. Atletico scored against them from from that wing. Bayern Munich did it um, in both games. So you'd imagine Salah, it's just perfect for him to, to hang around a little bit as Marcelo goes forward. And if Ronaldo's going to be playing on the left wing, you know, nobody's going to be tracking the Liverpool right back either. So maybe Marcelo has to go to him. Like it's it set up really well for Liverpool to be able to, to take advantage of the weaknesses in the Madrid defence. Whether Liverpool can do it on, on the big stage, whether they, they can handle the occasion and everything, because with Madrid, you know that they, or you can be pretty sure that they'll be able to handle the occasion. They generally play better the bigger the game is, this, this Madrid team. Um, but they, they have weaknesses for sure, and they've been able to, to ride them out. You know, other people have been able to, to punish the weaknesses, but Madrid have been able to score more in, in the games recently. And, you know, that set up for a really good game for, for sure against Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, they, they look so vulnerable to particularly um, attackers who are, who are running quickly through the lines. I mean, the first goal that Barcelona scored, this was when it, when it was still 11 against 11. The notable thing about it was how few defenders Real Madrid had back. I mean, they, you know, there's, there's ample opportunity to sort of chase back and they just don't do it. You know, it was two against two in the penalty area um, when Suarez scored. They, they just do not adapt their game despite the weaknesses that they show. It's, it's, it's a remarkable thing uh, it's a remarkable thing to see, but I can't really see them changing in the Champions League final either, even though you could look at it and say, okay, this is actually exactly the sort of team that Liverpool have been doing well against. You know, they, they've been struggling against teams that defend and, and close the space behind. You know, Manchester United uh, this season, Chelsea, Chelsea again. Chelsea just at the weekend, yeah. Yeah, um, and, and this is the kind of situation. But Whereas when teams have been playing high up with not many men at the back, this is exactly the sort of situation they've been reveling in. But... I mean, can you see Real Madrid changing their approach in the Champions League final? I mean, surely Real Madrid are the team that, you know, they're the one who knocks. It's everyone else who has to change their approach to play against them. Yeah, no, there's no, there's not a chance, I'd say, of them changing the approach. You know, maybe the Isco could play in midfield and be 4-4-2, but that, you know, Isco could be playing left of the midfield and he's not going to track back too much either. He's he's not going to be sprinting 50 yards back to, to put in a, a last-ditch tackle. Like Madrid, they almost seem more comfortable when... When they give up a couple of chances in a game, they often, um, I don't know if it's a conscious thing that they do, but they prefer when the opposition comes out a bit, plays a bit, even has a few chances and starts to get confident. And then maybe the opposition start to, to push their fullbacks forward and suddenly they're able to um, to exploit the gaps themselves. Like they back themselves in a shootout against anybody or a free-for-all against anybody. And someday it's going to end, as, as Ramos said um, a couple of weeks ago in the in the, in the the press conference that um, before the Bayern game that, you know, Someday all this is going to end, but so far they've been able to to roll with the punches, to take what other opposition teams have done with to them and hit back themselves. And you know they've won the last two competitions doing it, and they've got to the final. Like you know with really tough games against PSG, Bayern, and and Juve, they've got to the final again. Yeah, now no one can can dispute that they have got to this final uh, the hard way. But can I ask you just finally about Zinedine Zidane? I mean, he has he's obviously about to go into his third Champions League final and could win three in a row. And, <laughs> I mean, okay. Uh, and no one's really managed to yet figure out 
how it is that he's done this or, or how much credit he deserves. I mean, I wonder what you think, because the record is getting more and more impressive. I mean, this, I think, was his fourth game away to Barcelona as Real Madrid manager. He still hasn't lost. Yeah. Uh, he still hasn't lost in Barcelona, which I think is a, is the first time any Real Madrid manager has done that in his first four matches. So, you know, there's another impressive statistic. Um, you've had a bit of time to think about this and to watch Zidane in action. I mean, you know, what is it... Uh, What's going on? Why, do you, can you give us any updates on just what it is about this management style that's working so well for Real Madrid? It, it's a, it's a hard to, to put your finger on it, but it's to do with just the confidence that he gives the players. He always he seems to to have complete faith in the players, even when things are, are going wrong. Um, you know, the, their team are losing at home to Villarreal or, or whatever, or Real Betis in La Liga. He talks about how well they played. And when the big games comes around, he's come around, he's really calm and relaxed before them. He transmits that. To, to the players, he doesn't go in for too many tactical instructions or you know telling telling Modric or whoever it is where he has to be to cut off the opposition right back. He lets the players work that out themselves and they respond to it. Like they have the best squad, I think man for man, they easily have the best squad in in world football. Like guys like Modric and Cruz, who aren't the superstars in, in the team, are, are really great players. Varane, um, Marcelo going forward is phenomenal. Danny Carvajal is maybe the best right back in the world. Like their squad is just so good that Zidane trusts them to, to go out and be able to do it himself. You know, whether that would work at any other club in, in the world is is debatable. You know, it'd be really interesting to see what Zidane does next uh, after he, he leaves it up with Madrid. But for Madrid, he's the perfect manager. He, he knows exactly how to get them right for, for the games. And that, and Madrid seems to be the most important um, attribute that a coach can have. And he that's that's what he's been doing. That's the best I can best answer I can give. Yeah, no, it seems to be <laughs> it seems to be the consensus. All right, listen, Dermot, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. In the final and in again. And here to be sent off. He's going to be out of card. A gasp. Oh, what about that? Send him off. Send the duty gets off. You ball is dead, Campbell. A gasp. A gasp. Potentially half-fit Cristiano Ronaldo in the final. No chance, Dermot says, of Real Madrid changing their approach. It sounds all right for Liverpool, doesn't it? <laughs> well, 
uh, the other strange thing about it is they've got this really long break between the last Premier League game. It's, it's nearly two weeks between the last Premier League game and the Real Madrid have three La Liga games left between now uh, and the and the final. Um, I think Liverpool might might appreciate an extra game in there, but they don't have it. They will, I suppose, have the chance to rest. But at this point of the season, is rest really what you need? You know, is rhythm is kind of the thing that they've actually lost over the last three games. You know, the form just isn't there. I think that has a lot to do with the obvious exhaustion of some players. I mean, you know, guys like Milner have given a lot, are kind of straining. Uh, you know, someone like Mane seems to be coming back into form, but the rest of the team, you look around and there's a few few players who are struggling. So, okay, maybe this rest is what they need. Uh, I mean, Dermot was saying, or, or rather, the, you know, Real Madrid, I'm sure, will be, they know how to prepare for these games and I'm sure they'll arrive in pretty good shape. So the question is whether Liverpool really uh, really can match that. I mean, the, I, I, f- I feel about the final that if Liverpool's front three turn up and play the way that they have, watching Real Madrid last night, I don't see how Liverpool can't score three goals. But they need to turn up. You know, you don't get it with the sort of diving, miscontrolling offside Mo Salah. You need the other one who's been scoring the chances. And I think if that if, if those players turn up and are in form, give a good performance on the night, Liverpool will win the game. But the question is whether they're capable of doing that. It's a little bit of a stressful week now for Liverpool having to sit and watch Chelsea and Spurs play their games in hand on Wednesday in the battle for Champions League spot. We're going to have all the coverage of that on our football podcast on the World Service during the week. One more tweet just before we go. It's from Dale McGee, who says, Absolute scenes at Rochdale as friend of the show and double cancer ass-kicker Joe Thompson scores the goal that keeps Dale in League One on the last day fairy tale stuff. It certainly was. We interviewed Joe Thompson a few weeks back about his incredible story, which is summed up there a little bit by Dale. And it wasn't any old goal he scored to keep Rochdale up. He shapes to shoot with his right, fools the defender, cuts in on his left and then rolls at home in towards the bottom corner. Amazing composure for such a stressful kind of a day. Cue wild scenes of celebration and a big congrats from everybody second captains to Joe Thompson. Really inspirational end to an inspirational season for him. This is our one Bank All Day podcast today. If you're looking for any further listening and you're on the World Service and you haven't already heard it, then I do highly recommend you get onto Ken's political podcast from Friday which he discussed with Gavin Sheridan. The referendum propaganda war, the eighth referendum propaganda war is probably the best way to describe it. We had a lovely reaction to that one. Um, we've got a big interview tomorrow on the World Service. I just want to flag up as well. It's our first ever transgender athlete on the show. Chris Mosier is the man's name. Absolutely unbelievable story that Chris has to tell. So we'll get into all of that on the World Service. Service. If you're not signed up, you know what, where to go. Secondcaptains.com is the place to do it. It's only a fiver a month. And that's pretty much it from us. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you very much, Owen. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. Is 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.